Have you ever gotten a colonoscopy? Have you ever gotten an endoscopy? These are two procedures which are incredibly common amongst many clients that I work with. And if you have ever been diagnosed with IBS or gone to your doctor with chronic long-term bloating and diarrhea or constipation, any GI problem, it's very likely that you have been asked to get one of these procedures with a specialist. On today's episode, I interview my friend, Joey Miller, who is a certified gastroenterology nurse in Spokane, Washington. Joey spends all day looking at colonoscopies, but she is not your average gastroenterology nurse. She has celiac disease, she has Lyme, and she has had a concussion, all of which led her to eventually getting craniosacral therapy and learning that craniosacral therapy and other holistic avenues can be even more healing to her gut than just getting a colonoscopy. Joey also attended the same course called Listening to the Second Brain. And if you're interested in anything that we talked today, you can check out episode four, where I interviewed our instructor, Nikki Kenward. And you can check out episode 28, which is the episode right before this one, where I interviewed another classmate of ours, Brenda Aufterhar, who is a counselor and has a master's in social work and does internal family systems therapy. I would say one of the best talk therapies out there for the gut. If you are interested in ways that you can help your gut other than just getting a colonoscopy or an endoscopy and knowing if you have anything deeper going on, and if you've ever been told by your doctor that your colonoscopy or endoscopy looks normal, this episode is for you. We packed it full of information so that you can start thinking deeper about other ways that you can be helping your body from the inside out. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel healthy and vibrant again by finding the root cause of our gut health problems. My name is Allison Jordan, marathon runner, functional medicine practitioner, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of the Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for life. If you're ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. Thank you for listening to the Better Belly Podcast. Just a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make changes. Awesome. Well, guys, I am so excited for today's guest. Her name is Joey Miller. Joey lives in Portland. And if you were in tune for our last episode, we had a friend of ours, Brenda Afterhar, come onto the podcast and Joey is from Spokane, Washington, and she is friends with Brenda Afterhar, who was able to be one of our guests in the last episode. If you have not listened to the last episode, I would strongly encourage you to go and listen to it. Maybe just even pause this episode and go back. We definitely discussed some things we're going to be building on today with Joey because Brenda and Joey have been practicing a very uh, unique thing, not because the things that they've been practicing, no one's ever heard of, but they are blending two different therapies that that I have personally never heard of anyone blending before. And they are a talk therapy called internal family systems, which is amazing, amazing therapy. If you've never heard of it, definitely go and listen to the episode with Brenda, where she's able to describe it. And then craniosacral therapy, which we've discussed lots on this podcast. So Joey Miller, I'm so excited for you to be on this podcast. You have a lot of background in the gut um, specifically that I'm very excited for listeners to hear more about about. Uh, but thank you so much for being on the Better Belly podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So Joey, I just alluded to the fact that you working with the gut using craniosacral therapy and internal family systems, helping the body to reconnect with itself um, through dialogue. But you also literally work in, I don't know, would you say it like a hospital working with the gut? Can you tell our listeners what you do? 
Yeah. So I'm actually a certified gastroenterology nurse. Um, and I specifically work at a private um, colonoscopy and endoscopy center. We also have like a clinic attached. I don't work in that section, but we do, you know, work with people there. Um, and so I basically do procedural nursing. So I um, uh, check in patients that are going to get either an endoscopy or a colonoscopy. Um, I also work in the procedure room with the doctors with like equipment um, during, you know, the procedures. And then I also do recovery as well. Yeah. So I remember when I first met you um, and actually real quick before we move forward, a lot of our listeners have received colonoscopies and endoscopies because on the gut health journey, it's a very common procedure to do. Mm -hmm. But could you explain for our listeners real quick what a colonoscopy and an endoscopy is and maybe even some of the most common reasons why a doctor would recommend getting one of these? Oh, yeah, sure. So endoscopy, the term, and this actually is kind of confusing, just basically means that you're having a scope placed inside your body at some point. So when we say we usually use endoscopy to refer to an upper endoscopy, which is where we enter with the scope through your mouth, we go down your esophagus into the stomach and you kind of pop into the just the beginning part of the small intestine, which is the duodenum. Uh, but endoscopy is technically also a colonoscopy, but colonoscopy is more specific to we're going, you know, up your through your rectum up to your um, like through your large intestine into the end of your um, small intestine through your ileocecal valve. Right. That's a lot of distance, by the way. The whole, the whole yes, colon. <laughs> so, yes. so I said that answer your whole question. And then the other part of the question is why, why would a doctor recommend these to be done? What are, what are circumstances under which someone might have this recommended? Yeah. So for upper scopes, and that's what I'll kind of use instead of endoscopy, just an upper scope is kind of the basic term. You do it for a variety of reasons. So if people are having, you know, um, specific kind of like reflux pain, so that's more like epigastric. So that's kind of like in the middle of like your breastbone area. Um, I'm sure you've heard of like heartburn, you know, same, same kind of thing. Um, if they're having a lot of that and it's not being controlled on medication, um, a doctor might suggest that you get scoped for that. They might suggest if you're having, um, you know, abdominal, like lower abdominal pain, um, you can have something called H. pylori, which is like, um, bacteria. It's a gross infection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's in the stomach typically. Um, and it can cause a lot of pain and, and a variety of symptoms. And so they might, um, want that we can take biopsies of that, um, area of the stomach that usually is infected by H. pylori. Um, and, uh, so that would be another reason celiac disease is another reason to get diagnosed, which is what I actually have. That's how I got into, um, kind of GI work in general. Um, but that's biopsies in the small intestine. Um, the other big thing we work with is stuff going on in the esophagus. So you can have something called a cynophilic esophagitis. When I work with kids, this was really common. Um, and so you actually have like difficulty swallowing and discomfort because of allergies that's causing inflammation in the esophagus. Um, and then you can also have different, um, like strictures that happen in the esophagus. It's called the Schatzky's ring is like the most common where you kind of get scar tissue, um, at your, um, sphincter that connects your esophagus to your stomach. And that we actually, um, can like pop open and will dilate. It's a very common procedure that we do for people had to have difficulty swallowing. Yeah. So you, there's all sorts of stuff. People are going to the, to the gastroenterologist, to the gut doctor. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm kind of having the, all the, these symptoms. And they're like, Oh, let's like, look, let's just like, see what your tissue looks like. Is it red? Is it inflamed? Is there something mm -hmm. visible we can find? That's like, Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not no bueno. Um, and that's yes, what you're yeah. doing all day long. Like you're looking like you're not just thinking about the gut or like thinking about food going into the gut, you're looking at the gut, which I just love that you have that part of your, your skill set, um, that it's very, very tangible. And I'd forgot that you had celiac disease, but like through your own journey, you didn't just say, let's just stop at the colonoscopy and endoscopy and like, kind of, I guess I can't eat wheat anymore. That's not it. You ended up looking for more. Can you tell us more about that journey for you? Oh, sure. And I realized I actually didn't answer your full question. I didn't talk 
talk about why you would get a colonoscopy. Oh, I just sure. talked about upper scopes. So I'll go back there because that's actually really important. So for lower scopes, um, so colonoscopies, you do that for, so screening is the biggest thing. We screen for um, cancer. Um, so rectal or colon cancer. And that's like probably a vast majority of the scopes that we do. Cause once you hit 50, the suggestion is to, and now it's actually changing to 45 is to get a scope every 10 years. If you don't have polyps and if you do have polyps, it depends on the type of polyp. And then it changes the, you know, the frequency of when you should get the scope. So we do that a lot. And then the other reason would be inflammatory bowel disease. So your Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. So I just want to put that in there uh, because of gut issues. That was just kind of something that like happened after the fact, which is interesting. I got into craniosacral therapy. I started getting it because I had had six concussions. And so it was just kind of one of those things that um, I was getting my, you know, a lot of work done on that. And then um, I noticed that we started working on my gut more. Interesting. So can you explain the transition of what it was like to get craniosacral therapy focusing on your cranial bones because of these concussion and your cranial membranes? And if you haven't listened, and if you're new to the podcast and you're like craniosacral therapy, what are they talking about? What is it related to the gut? Um, check out episode five. We're going to talk about talks about two treatments, two uncommon, uh, at least uncommonly talked about uh, treatments for IBS, which are craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation. But Joey, um, for, for our listeners who are familiar with craniosacral therapy, can you tell us what it was like to go from getting treated for your head to getting treated for your gut? Yeah. So it really wasn't like a specific transition. It's kind of one of those things that I started noticing, um, so like when I first went in uh, for concussions, you know, half the time she wouldn't even work like on my head, you know, she was working like all sorts of different ways. And we started like initial, you know, a couple of months of really trying to help with like post-concussive um, symptoms and things like that. Um, we started transitioning to, you know, lots of different things and it just kind of progressed. And, you know, I don't know if she, the, I was seeing a lady back in Seattle and I don't know if we specifically talked as much about the gut. That was more as I started transition when I moved out to Spokane and it just kind of started popping up. And that's why I wanted to take the gut class actually with Brenda, because we didn't really like, I wanted to kind of work on my gut because I had had a lot of issues with it in the past. I had been diagnosed with Lyme disease and had extensive antibiotic treatment. And so I hadn't really um, had a craniosacral therapist per se focus specifically like on my gut. I'm sure like I'd have them work on my abdomen, but you know, with cranio, as you know, you kind of work on things that sometimes you don't necessarily know what you're working on. <laughs> and it's just like your hands are there and you're just like, okay, you know, I don't know what's happening, but this is where my hands need to be. Right. And so I just started getting very interested in the gut. Um, and, um, I didn't really, I would pick it up on my clients and be like, I don't really know what I'm doing with this. And so when I saw the gut class, I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds like an awesome idea. You know, like it really integrates cranio and also what I do, you know, as a nurse as well. And so then now I get, you know, uh, worked on my gut a lot more and, and I'll work on myself as well. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's not a, it's not a linear pathway, uh, often no. for a lot of people with their gut, um, including myself, which I've shared my story a lot on this podcast kind of filtered throughout the, all these episodes. And I think for a lot of our listeners and a lot of clients that I work with, it's like, you're maybe given an initial diagnosis and then a couple recommendations like, Hey, celiac, don't eat wheat. <laughs> exactly. um, and then like, Oh, Lyme, we should do something about that. Um, uh, concussions, cranial. And then you start to dig more and more and like, how does the gut actually work or what actually heals it? I'm really curious. What I wanted to ask you is how frequent for you are you seeing a quote unquote normal scope? Because what I see a lot, and this is a question I've just wanted to ask you for forever. <laughs> this is a personal vendetta. Um, what I got and what almost all of the clients that I work with, which there's a lot of IBS involved or just a lot of like general bloating, things like that. You know, their gastroenterologist says, ah, oh, get a colonoscopy, get an upper endoscopy. And, and they come back and their doctor says, everything looks normal. 
<laughs> um, and they're, they're kind of left with nothing. I'm curious, just from your personal experience, do you feel like you get a lot more normals than you're expecting or like, or do you personally like, yeah, we see a lot of interesting things. Um, I would say that there's a, a large amount of normals. You are correct in that. Or at least like you might see maybe like a little bit of redness in the stomach and we'll biopsy for H pylori or, you know, they might be having certain symptoms and we'll biopsy their duodenum, but it looks totally fine. It doesn't look like celiac, but celiac is very tricky. It doesn't always have, like, it doesn't always appear um, a certain way. It can be very microscopic. And so, yeah, I would say, to put a number on it, I would say with upper scopes and lower when we're doing specifically diagnostic, because there's a difference between diagnostic and screening. Screening is more we're screening for cancer. Diagnostic is you're having a specific symptom and we're trying to diagnose you with something. Um, I would say at least 50% are probably normal. I probably more than that, but it's hard to quantify, but there's a lot of normals. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I was so curious because I'm sitting here being like, I kind of want it to be high. I kind of want it to be low, like for mm-hmm. your own sake, because a lot of normals like, yep, they're symptomatic and we can't find anything. And of course, you're not the person working with them ultimately. But yep, you're like nothing interesting in this one, guys. <laughs> well, and I think that really speaks to just because we don't visually see something doesn't mean there's not major stuff going on, you know. And so I work with people in the cranial world that have, you know, IBS or, you know, severe constipation or different gut issues. And I feel lots of things going on, you know, when I'm working with a tissue, but it's just not something that, you know, tests are limited. They can't, they can't see the nerves. They can't see what the tissue is doing. All they can see is like, you know, the inner outer aspect. So like, we're just looking at the one layer of colon that we can see when we're going through, or, you know, the upper scope, we're just looking at like that, that it's the inner layer, but it's the outer layer to us. Does that make sense? I don't feel like Uh, I've explained it very well. The most external layer. It's like your skin. I mean, it's inside of you. That's what, that's why you're calling it your inner layer, but ultimately it's the, it's the superficial of the lumen. It's like with a lumen, like the, you know, you you can think of the GI tract as like, you know, a hole, like it's, it's um, a big slide. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So that's like, you can only see that like very external part of this, yeah, of the slide, or I guess more the internal part of the slide. It's kind of hard to explain. I know. I I think, I think people are probably know what we're talking about, but it is actually funny to realize it actually doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But it's just that layer. Right. And so it's like, we can't tell what's going on underneath and like, you can't tell what's happening in different structures of, you know, the gut, um, you know, is there lymph backup? Is there, you know, a nerve like miscommunication issue going on? You know, is stress a big issue? Is the vagus nerve working correctly? And so that's not something that any diagnostic test can really like tell. And so like once you, the, I think the pro of getting a, I guess I would say like a negative colonoscopy or upper scope that, that they don't find anything would be that, well, at least it's not a big bad. At least it's not cancer. At least it's not inflammatory bowel disease, you know, and so then you can go into more alternative aspects of stuff to actually help your issue. Oh, that brings up a sore spot for me a little bit. Remind me if this is correct. In Spokane, is craniosacral therapy covered by insurance? Um, so I don't take insurance. (laughs) But like it can be sort of in Washington. I believe so. I got uh, my craniosacral therapist to, um, like, she took my insurance in Seattle. Okay. Um, and I think it's mainly massage therapists will bill for it. And I think they just bill it as manual therapy. Okay. Um, and so does, like, PTs and stuff. I just, as a nurse, I can't bill for manual therapy, which is why I don't take insurance. Sure. Which is totally fine. But I know that I was just so shocked because I didn't know this. And when we were in Portland, they were saying in Oregon that like a a regular LMT licensed massage therapist can bill for insurance. So, but, but in where I live in Michigan and in several other states that I know of, or I've talked to other people from, they cannot take insurance. So, um, so alternative medicine sometimes can be 
actually almost like a, oh, I wish it could just be a surgery covered by insurance and I'm done with it. But really like you can get really, really good healing with alternative medicine, Uh even if it is out of pocket. And for our listeners, we do have a really great episode that I recorded on paying out of pocket and the value and some of the reasons that we have a hard time investing in our health. And that is, um, I'll put a link in the show notes for that, but that we did right at the beginning of the year, as we're just thinking about investing in ourselves and, and really hitting new health goals, not necessarily losing weight, but just like, Hey, feeling better about my belly or my gut or having better energy. So thank you. That sounds awesome by the way. Oh, that, that episode you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to listen to it. (laughs) it, The week we're recording with you, Joey, it's coming out in two days. It's like the second week of January. So, but by the time this comes out, it will be fully available for all of our listeners. So (laughs) I'm glad you're excited for it, Joey. I am. I I personally loved that episode, but back to this. So Joy, I really love what you said. Um, Just because we visually don't see something doesn't mean nothing is going on. And I love that you in particular have this, I feel like you have this great platform to speak from as someone who constantly like values looking at the gut, like has a whole degree and profession related to like the value of looking at the gut. But then this other part of you that got developed, that is what can we palpate? And I'm curious I know for our listeners, I've described the benefit of craniosacral therapy for IBS, for acid reflux, for just like that general bloating or abdominal pain that people experience. But could you, in your own words, is there a way that you typically describe why it's beneficial or what's going on, either processes that are going on in the body or even why a light touch therapy like craniosacral therapy can impact the body? Could you share how you like to think of that or how you like to communicate that with your clients? Yeah. So when it comes to craniosacral therapy, I think the big benefit overall is that it's very different from any other type of um, manipulation, but the therapist is, you know, specifically having an intention of working out kinks, right? Or like with PT, you're, you're doing very specific things. Cranio is very opposite as it's more like, sure, there are techniques that you can learn, But it's more about being open and just listening to what that patient's body is telling you, right? And so I like it because who knows what the, there's so many like things that can be going on in people's systems. And it might be like a root of something emotional that happened when they were really young. And so the great thing about cranio and then also incorporating kind of this emotional aspect is you can kind of uncover uh, stuff and, and really help get to like the root rather than just treating the symptom. So yeah, that's kind of how I explain it. So rather than I'm not like people will come in and be like, I want you to fix my gut. I want you to fix something <laughs> like that. And I really make it a point to say, I'm not here to fix anything. I'm here to listen what's going on and see what your tissue is telling me. And, you know, it's hard. I've been trying to see if I can figure out how to like classify, you know, in medicine, we're all about like categories, right? And you class, like if you have this particular symptom, this is your classification and stuff like that. I have found it really difficult to do that as a therapist because everyone is so different. It's like with certain IBS things, I might notice it in this particular type of tissue or in the nerve or something like that. And then I work on somebody else that has the same diagnosis and they have a completely different thing going on, you know? And so you just have to be like very open and willing to be like, you know, and sometimes I'll tell people, I don't really know what's going on. Like I can tell you that I'm working with this particular aspect and then they'll tell me like, oh, I feel way better or, Mm -hmm. you know, this is happening or this is changing. It's very fascinating. Yes. And so um, for our listeners who've been following us for a while, they've definitely heard me say that in craniosacral therapy, we follow, we don't Uh come in and say like, oh, my arm's hurting. And I'm like, I'm going to treat your arm. You know, I'm going to treat this specific muscle or my gut's hurting. I'm going to go to this specific thing, but we really put our hands on someone and we say, where are we noticing that there's a lot of times we talk about pulling in the body. Like I'm I'm being pulled. There's an area where the tissue is bundled up. And I, I don't know if I've actually used this before on this podcast, but imagine, especially even if you're a a man, I don't know if men know much about this, but like either pantyhose, (laughs) which are really tight or even like a shirt. If, if the, if your shirt and you're wearing like long sleeve shirt and that arm gets all twisted and you put it on your arm feels weird, right? Like you really want to untwist that arm or if it's a pantyhose and it's like 
twisted, it feels weird on your leg. It makes your leg feel like it wants to move in a weird way. So you try to get it on straight. And that can be, that's what our fascia is like. It's this connective tissue um, that some people who are studying fascia believe that it's the most abundant tissue in the body, more abundant than skin or muscle or bone. And our nerves pass through it. Our blood vessels pass through it. Our organs are covered by fascia and they're also passed through it. Our organs are actually um, sometimes fascia even, uh, it's like a seatbelt to that organ, right? And so when in craniosacral therapy, we're paying attention to a lot of different structures, but overall, the overarching thing we're feeling is fascia. Um, and a nerve gets bunched up in that or a blood vessel or an organ gets involved and you're like, whoa, something's going on here. But ultimately we're feeling the fascia and you can feel that twist, just like you can visibly see or be able to feel a twist in a, in a shirt arm or a sleeve, shirt sleeve, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can, you can do that with the body as well. So in craniosacral therapy, we listen, we say, okay, well, your pain might be in your wrist, but the twist is actually starting up at the top of your shoulder, right? So it doesn't matter where the symptom is or how long, you know, how big the symptom is or anything. We, all we're looking for is where is the, where's the root cause. And we do that through touch. And so, and as you said, you, you can't consistently be like, oh, in IBS, there's five options and we go there and then we fix it. It's like, nope, with IBS, one person is going to be in one area, one person, another. Um, and there's different things that we need to be open to. I've personally been getting this for a lot more lately. I think this might be helpful for some of our listeners is that I've been getting drawn to the thorax more. So the lung, rib cage area. So heart, diaphragm, liver is technically not in the thorax, but the liver is so much up in the rib cage, that whole area. And I'm finding that there's a lot of people who have some history of asthma, history of having had pneumonia, history of um, one person had a history of almost drowning. And the thorax gets really, really tight. Um, I did not man plan on talking about all this, Joey, but I'm curious if you've experienced this or you've had this happen, even specifically with IBS clients. And I found that by releasing tissue in the thorax, completely like in the rib cage, completely unrelated, or at least for a long time, what I thought was unrelated to the gut um, has actually helped a lot of my clients with their IBS. I knew when it started happening, I already knew this interesting piece of information, which is that your rib cage and your lungs have an opposite pressure system to your gut. So your gut has supposed to have a positive 15 pressure system and your rib cage is supposed to have a negative 15. Negative. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's how you breathe. Um, we breathe by creating a negative vacuum that pulls in air. First off, if you've got IBS, usually that positive 15, they found it has gone up as high as like positive 60 in people. It very much throws off your thoracic and your rib cage's ability to pull in air. And it can actually interfere with how your stomach's able to empty food. So basically cause acid reflux. Well, similarly, if you have a thoracic problem where your rib cage isn't able to open because of asthma or scar tissue from pneumonia. And honestly, um, I've heard of a couple of practitioners experiencing this with post-COVID patients that this rib cage is getting really, really stuck and it's causing GI problems. Everything from constipation, constipation is actually really common um, for me that I've been seeing with um, a rib cage being kind of stuck, but also acid reflux is the other most common thing I see. And then just general bloating, discomfort, things like that. Have you been drawn to the rib cage much? Oh yeah. And I would say, and this is, it's super fascinating to hear this. Um, so what I've been drawn a lot to with gut patients in the rib cage has been vagus nerve. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. And I would say, yeah, I'm liver definitely. Um, and I haven't noticed as much of a connection of asthma, but now I'm going to be really interested in looking yes. at that. Yes. Yes. But definitely like stomach. I work a lot, you know, if you just put your hands kind of on that respiratory diaphragm area and I'll be drawn um, to a lot of different things. And I actually noticed that you, I tend to have to release that first, um, you know, and just be present there with the tissue. And I'll notice, I'll pick up a lot of stuff in the stomach, um, vagus nerve, um, the, the Arbach nerve plexus as well with like motor function um, and liver and a lot of blood flow stuff. Um, yes. And I I don't know, you know, when I work on it, sometimes I don't always know like the connection, but when I work in that area, I'll have a lot of people, they'll text me and be like, Hey, I just like, 
you know, I'm finally going now or, um, you know, or, you know, whatever symptom they were having has actually improved. And I didn't even work specifically on their gut or I maybe just worked on their stomach and that was it. Yes. I really like this. And I, and I feel like if you're listening to this and you're like, I just haven't had any luck with all the things I've been trying. Notice that Joey and I, we have not been talking about nutrition. We haven't been talking about the low FODMAP diet or, and, and, and nutrition can be impactful, but there are other things. They're just simply other things you can do to help the gut. And then sometimes it can be helpful to realize that it's not, the gut is not all in the gut. The gut is in the rib cage, especially because the esophagus is going through there, the vagus nerve, but also what I just talked about with that pressure system that our lungs create. And every time we breathe, that affects our abdomen. Every time we cough, every time we hiccup, (laughs) things like that, that affects all of our organs that are causing us to digest and excrete food and all this different stuff. And so there is hope, like there is totally hope for other therapies helping. And there's also creativity. There's like, wow, what other things like concussions, Joey, um, you're, I'm sure you're yes, very familiar that with was this. The, I was just going <laughs> to bring up, well, I noticed that a lot of times when I work on people's guts, like they'll come in for something like that, might not get to it for a couple of sessions because you just have to work on the head first and it might be vice versa. It's really variable. Yes. Um, it's, but, uh, cause sometimes I find that like, obviously the goal is like root cause, right? Like what caused all this dysfunction? But sometimes I think it's really hard to find the root cause. Like you think it's like the concussion or you think it's, you know, this or that. And then you find like another layer later and you're like, oh my gosh, what was this from? Like, <laughs> And so it's, yeah, it's just, it's hard to identify. So I just try to be, you know, open and patient and just ask the body, where do you want me to go first? And I usually explain to people, Hey, I know you're coming in for, yeah, like a gut issue or a head issue. Um, cause I've had this happen before, like, you know, headaches or something. And I'm like, Oh, I need to work on your gut first, you know? And so it's very variable based on the person. I had a client come in recently who came to me for her gut and um, we're working on multiple levels. So we're doing some functional medicine. We're basically doing some lab testing to check her sex and steroid hormones, her um, see if she has any gut pathogens, which is really, really common. And Joey, I haven't told you, but um, Mm -hmm. on one of my podcast episodes recently talked about um, how I found a pathogen, a parasite specifically in my gut this year. Um, I, uh, ran one of my tests that I do, um, on myself. I I was just like appalled that no other doctor or anybody I'd ever talked to even thought of it. And I found the number one, most common parasite that's associated with IBS. I also didn't know that there was a number one parasite that is associated. It's called blastocystis hominis. Anyways, killed that sucker. I don't think I knew this either. I'm going to write this down. Oh girl. (laughs) And uh, you can find the episode um, for our listeners. We'll have a link. I don't remember the current number, but it's a like update on my parasite, something like that. Okay. Um, and it's from like the November, December time region. I, I share a lot of statistics on there, but there's some amazing studies. They've done studies in Pakistan and Great Britain and India, Ooh. Spain. And if you just grab somebody off the street who has IBS, usually they grab like a hundred or more, right? And and then they do a stool test on them. A bunch of them will have this um, blastocystis hominis, which typically uh, doctors the reason they don't look for it is that conventional medicine, I go over this in that, in that episode, but conventional medicine considers blastocystis hominis, this parasite as non-pathogenic. Okay. They think it's like somewhere along the lines of like, oh, it'll live in your gut. It won't cause you any problems. It's not doing anything for you. It's not doing anything against you. And that's really not the case. And so what they find is that blastocystis hominis Conventional medicine does think that this bug will cause an acute problem. So it's very commonly associated. It's one of the things you can get that'll cause traveler's diarrhea because that's what it initially does. Initially will create like an acute diarrhea, like sickness, fatigue, but it can hang out in your gut and keep you low grade sick hence chronic illness, um, where you're just fatigued and and you'll actually start to err on the side of constipation. And it's all the IBS symptoms literally looks hundred percent like IBS when you have this. Oh yeah. Interesting. It destroys your intestinal lining. So you'll get leaky gut, you'll get extra food sensitivities. I mean, cause it, it burrows into your small intestines. Isn't that horrible? 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so are, do you take like a medical approach to this? I took, you- I took pharmaceutical grade supplements. Okay. Um, I don't know if, if that's what you meant by medical. Um, I did not work with a conventional doctor. Yeah. I did functional medicine, um, gotcha. used pharmaceutical grade herbs and was able to kick that sucker out. Gotcha. No, I was just curious because so I um, the immune system is really fascinating to work with from a craniosacral perspective. And what I have found with working with like other things like Epstein-Barr and stuff like that. So I haven't specifically worked with parasites, but when like something is going on in the immune system, though, you know, parasite is a little it is a little bit different than having like an autoimmune condition or something sure. or, but, but Epstein-Barr is all, you know, you know, is a virus as well. I've actually like worked with it as far as like, why is it causing issues and how can it um, kind of be more like a passive player or just like hanging out rather than actually causing problems. Yes. So I, I was just thinking, like, I was just wondering if you had anyone work on you, you know, craniosacral wise uh, to see if you could like, rather than like trying to, you know, treat it with like medication or supplements or something like that. Like if you had tried that, just curious. I believe, no, this is a good question. I believe that I got this parasite in 2015 because all of my problems started a couple months after I went to India. Um, and, and that, that's enough. That's a gestational period where my body's like slowly breaking down. I was like, I think that three month period makes total sense where I was a strong, healthy human being who could eat whatever I wanted. And one week, well, it was a slow progression, but there was one week where I was like, I feel fatigued and horrible all the time. And I can't Mm -hmm. sleep at night. I'm going to take dairy out of my diet. I don't know why that occurred to me. I was not familiar with anything related to (laughs) (laughs) like uh, elimination diets or anything. And I felt way better. And I was like, oh, maybe I just like stopped being able to digest dairy. I hear that happens. But then a couple Uh months later, I couldn't, I was having all these symptoms and I was like, thought for sure dairy was in my diet. And I was like, it's totally not in my diet. What is happening? And I ended up going onto a low FODMAP diet. Uh Um, But of course, even going onto that diet didn't solve my symptoms and it won't if you have a parasite. And at Mm -hmm. that point, um, at that point in my life, I had lots of cranial and visceral going on. It was a huge turning point in my life that in 2016, I started getting cranial and visceral done, which is why I knew I wanted to do those modalities myself. But I had that for three or four years and I was doing much better, but you're not going to kill it. It is, it's a very, it's a, it's same with H. pylori. I mean, I've never heard of, I work with lots of people who have H. pylori and I've never been able to get rid of it with touch therapy. Well, what I'm saying is rather than getting rid of it, how can you like almost like neutralize it? Oh, I don't feel like mine was neutralized personally. Um, gotcha. I think I coped. I coped the heck out of yeah. everything. I was an amazing, I like my body was like a suit of armor on the outside, but I had like a little parasite on the inside. Um, gotcha. Or like, I should say, like, how do you like coexist without like, and I'm yeah. just curious about this sure. because I feel like some, I come at it from like a Lyme's disease perspective. Yeah, yes. I think sometimes people are really trying to kill the Lyme's and I don't know. I don't know if organisms necessarily, you know, they, they don't really want to be killed. Right. And so like <laughs> antibiotics can be really rough on your system. And so yes. this is just kind of like a theory of mine. And I had never thought about it with parasites before, sure. you know, of just like, is there a possibility to try to get it to like you know, blend with your system rather than cause like dysfunction. Yeah. Uh, Now, I don't know. We kind of talked, I took the immune class um, with Tim Hutton. Just for the listeners, there's a craniosacral course that specializes on looking at immunity or the immune system. I haven't taken it. So whatever Joey's about to say, I I don't know what she, (laughs) go for it, Joey. That's that's basically what he was talking about. And it was really fascinating of trying, like rather than with the intention of like killing, you know, just like working with it to see like what it wants and stuff. It was very interesting. I've only done it a couple of times. And like I said, never with parasites, I've never actually worked with like H. pylori specifically or anything like that, but I have worked with Epstein-Barr and it was it was very interesting. So that was just, you know, spitballing there. <laughs> hey, that's one of the fun things about these podcasts is that we, it, it's structured. We're sharing information and stuff, but we're also, we're literally learning with you guys. With well, yeah, everybody I'm just else. like, 
like, what if I really like doing that a lot of like, what if we could work with this or what if that could happen, you know? And, and the interesting thing is, is Lyme, uh, what I know of it, and I'm not, I do not specialize in it. And being that you've had it, you've dealt with it, Joey, that always gives someone a lot more experience to, and honestly, you've probably spent time looking at research and stuff. I know Lyme is really unique. Um, same with Epstein Barr. So those things I know that you can basically go into remission or not have a flare up essentially, which is like words that we use with autoimmune diseases, but with parasites and infections so, like H. pylori, I've never heard of someone really going into remission. If you get a strong enough um, immune system, that can happen. But my yeah. immune system was really suppressed when I took my mm-hmm. stool test. <laughs> It was like one tenth of what it should be um, wow. for the reference range. It was just in the pits, and so yeah. um, I was surprised I didn't wasn't getting sick more often. But my my intestinal IgA was horrible. Oh so yeah, there were a lot of things that were showing me I wasn't doing well. So it might be relevant to what you're talking about, but doesn't sound at all accurate to what I've worked with. Just if you're curious. Oh yeah, no, I was just I was just curious, but yeah, it's a, your parasites are definitely different than say like a virus or something like that. Right. It was just interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll finish what I was saying with my, my client who came in for, for gut stuff and we were doing lab testing, but I ended up working with her and I started with her head. She was kind of like, why are you working with my head um, afterwards? But then when she came back for her next session, she said, you know, the funniest thing happened. And I was like, well, what? And she's like, well, you know how you worked on my, my head the whole time last time. So I was working with her cranial bones and um, for you, Joey, I was working with her sphenoid. So you can imagine uh-huh. this, what she's about to tell me. Um, she goes, well, I will often either watch my son play Minecraft or sometimes play it with him because it's just a bonding thing we do. But she's like, but often I have a limited amount of time I can play because I'll get intensely dizzy um, and she'll get vertigo from Minecraft. I'm like, that makes sense. It's all video gamey and stuff. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, I played it with him. A couple days after our last session, I had no vertigo and she has had none since when she plays with her son oh, now. And so cool. she, she comes in for her gut, but we, I was like, but your greatest restriction in your body that I feel right now is actually in your head. And it's very likely that the two are not unrelated, the head and the gut. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious. Um, and I wasn't planning on sharing that, but for you, I always love inviting guests. What are a few favorite testimonials from clients you've been able to work with? Just like, Maybe a a symptom they came in with that had a a surprising resolution or a unique case, anything where you're like, I just love being able to share about this client or whatever it is. So any favorite testimonials from your clients that you've worked with? Yeah. So um, I have one that a client that I've been seeing for a while and she originally was coming in for a lot of, well, kind of started for like pain, you know, different uh, pain in, in her upper body. But then also she has had a lot of like childhood trauma and, and things like that. And so we were doing a lot of emotional work and kind of integrating, you know, mind, body, spirit. And she kind of had this interesting symptom of having um, hives all over her uh, body. And, um, it wasn't really something that I like intended to work with. Cause you know, when, when I assess, I just kind of go with whatever is most you know important. And, you know, I might tell the body, okay, this is what's bothering this particular person, you know, for bothering them the most, but I just kind of, you know, work with whatever comes up. Right. And so all of a sudden, you know, as I was seeing her, I started kind of really picking up the immune system. I started realizing we were kind of working with that. And then one time I got, you know, this very clear indication to work on her immune system in her, in her head, you know, particularly glial cells and things like that. Yeah. Your glymphatic system for our listeners. If you ever want to look it up, glymphatic. And it's not something that I, I haven't taken the brain classes. And so it was just kind of something that I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to put my hands on the head and just, you know, with this particular intention and see, see what happens. And so I started picking up all these interesting things and I started thinking about histamine and I was just like, okay, well, this is really interesting. And after the session, she said she had like a pretty, I think she had a pretty big flare. And so I started really researching, um, histamine in the body and Mm -hmm. histamine is actually a neurotransmitter, which I didn't know. And so I started just doing a whole bunch of research and I worked a couple sessions um, with her. And I mean, she had to be on like constant prednisone. She would have mass, you know, just hives all over her body. Wow. And And prednisone because prednisone because of the hives. 
specifically? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and for our listeners, prednisone is a medication. Gosh, we give it for lots of reasons. Um, I've seen steroid. it for cancer. It's a steroid. It suppresses yeah. your immune system. So. Yes, exactly. Yep. So, um, so I started working with that and at, you know, a certain point I was like, okay, you know, she was saying she wasn't noticing any flares. She didn't have to take the steroid. She was just on like antihistamines. And so after a couple of sessions, eventually she got off everything and she stopped having hives, her hives and her body totally went away. And it was mainly working on histamine in the brain. Um, and so this is kind of something I've started kind of developing on my own now because of her results. It was fascinating. And she was very happy because she didn't even come in for it. It was just something that like <laughs> just kind of naturally progressed. And it, I mean, but it really helped her because she felt terrible taking prednisone, you yes. know, I mean, steroids yes. make you feel really funky. And so, yeah, that's one that really stands out to me of just like, and I think it's a good indication of just being like, I don't always know what I'm doing or like where it's going to go, but just following and how, like, what an interesting result can happen from that. Yeah. And did she come to you for the gut or you said, you said the hives wasn't what she came into you for? Yeah, no, she came in for like pain. Um, she was just having pain and like, you know, neck and shoulder area and stuff. And then also she thought it would help with a lot of like emotional stuff. She had been reading that, you know, somatic emotional release, um, just with like childhood trauma. So we were mainly working with stuff like that. And so it was just interesting that, that it just kind of like started, like, I didn't have the intention. It just kind of like came up as, you know, in the sessions and yeah. It was was very interesting. And and you were working mainly with the head then, like you didn't end up working with the histamine or the histamine response anywhere else in the body. Just the... It was mainly in the head, uh, specifically the hypothalamus. Man. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And and that's just one of those crazy things. Like I sometimes tell clients who come into me, I go, I, I can't promise you that I'm going to get rid of your blah. You know, like I also can't even tell you necessarily like... I also can't tell you all the things that will change. Like I couldn't have told my client, like, by the way, you'll stop having vertigo when you play, (laughs) play video games with your son. Um, or like you probably wouldn't have ever told that woman, like, Hey, I can get rid of your hives. Um, or like, that's one of the things we'll be doing. Um, but you followed where your hands were saying where you needed to work. Mm -hmm. And then you were able to work with the body and support a system that needed, um, that mm-hmm. the, ultimately her body healed herself. And, and that's another thing oh, we haven't absolutely. said. I try to kind of re re bring up a lot of times with alternative medicine, whether it's acupuncture or chiropractic care or functional medicine or supplements, craniosacral, visceral, um, all of these therapies are ultimately trying to support your body to do what your body wants to do is able mm-hmm. to do. And it's almost like, I, I like to think of these alternative therapies kind of coming into your body when it's under siege. And when, if you're a castle and you have walls and you're under siege, like you might not be getting all the food you need or the nutrients, or maybe your walls are broken and that'd be like your immune system, things like that. And somebody else comes in and says, here's a new wall. Here's an army. Here's the building materials for your wall, all the stones, or here's a a reprieve from the onslaught. So you can get a good night's sleep, things like that. And then suddenly the body's like, oh, I can actually fight back. And we don't need heavy pharmaceuticals, heavy drugs to essentially do the fighting for us and take away our agency, take away our our body's ability to regulate itself. But um, instead, we're able to say, um, let me give you the the building blocks or or take away some of the some of the onslaught factors um, that are causing that are making it difficult for your body to self-regulate. But now it can. Now it can self-heal. Now it knows. And I, I actually work also with a lot of people's a lot of women's hormones. Mm-hmm. And what we find is that, you know, if progesterone's really low or estrogen's really high, or even if estrogen's really low, um, a lot of times conventional doctors, the first thing they'll do is like, let me put you on some, you know progesterone, right? Let's just like throw some hormones into your body. But the question that we ask is like, well, why is progesterone low? And we look around for you a lot of times inflammatory processes. And I usually say, let's deal with those first. See if your body fixes its own progesterone. And guess what? 95% of the time it does. Absolutely. Um, Right. And so same with your client, like you didn't say like, let's just up your prednisone dose. You're like, well, let's assist the lymphatic system in the brain or called the glymphatic system. Um, And then the brain's like, "Hmm, thanks for the help. (laughs) Hives gone. (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah. That, and that's, and that's why I don't think of it as like fixing. And yeah, I never, I never tell anybody, Oh, I, I'm going to be able to help you with that. I just say, you know, you're coming in for this particular thing and let's see, you know, let's see what we can do. Um, because yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, there's, I've had some crazy sessions with people that I was like, well, I wasn't anticipating that, but okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yes. Well, Joey, we are about up on our time now. I One of the great things about this podcast, though, is we have listeners from all over the country, all over the world. And I know that for, even though you work mostly in Spokane, if someone wants to reach out to you, if someone has a friend or family member who lives in Spokane and they're like, wow, I'd love to maybe connect with this Joey person, um, Joey lady. Um, what, what would be the best way for someone to connect with you? Where can someone either find you online or, um, send you a message? Oh, sure. So, um, the best way to contact me, you could go to my website. My business is called three in one wellness. Um, so it's, uh, three in one wellness.com and it's actually uh, numeral three, um, and a one. And the website will be in the link, folks. So if you want to contact Joey at 3-in-1 Wellness, just see what she has going on, see what her offerings are. That would be the best place to do it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Allison. Well, Joey, thank you so much for being on this episode. It's so fun. And for any of our listeners, again, if you haven't listened to the first episode with Brenda, we talked there a little bit more about how Joey, Brenda, and I met at this gut health seminar. Um, if you're further interested in this seminar, we actually had the instructor of that seminar, Nikki Kenward, on. Um, and we'll put a link in the show notes for the episode that she was on. She's a lovely lady. She lives in London. She does have a British accent. So if you love listening to people with accents. That will be the episode to check out. Well, Joey, thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for sharing everything you have to know with the Better Belly podcast. Thank you. Was that interview amazing or what? I love talking about all the different ways that we can help the gut that are sometimes in systems that we never think about. Helping our brain, helping our, if you've ever had a concussion, if you have celiac disease, helping your body in new and different ways um, that can really cause root healing in the gut. And I hope that you found this episode so helpful and informative on your gut health journey. If you love this episode, we have so much more coming down the line subscribe so you never miss one of our episodes and if you thought of a friend while you listen to this episode I encourage you take a screenshot and share it with that friend I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist they say oh I know someone who needs you so send that friend a love note to their gut and do us a favor and pass this podcast along to them other ways that you can support us in this podcast is you can leave a rating and review if you are listening on Apple iTunes or have a way to access that. That is one of the best place that you can leave a rating and review so that other people can find this podcast as well. And if you are looking for more ways to stay in conversation, you can follow us on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. I love talking with people who have been listening to the podcast, hearing what insights you've been having, what struggles that you have going on, and if there's any way that we can support you. I love connecting with our listeners and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. And as always, if you are ever wanting any support in your health, we encourage you check us out. You can shoot me a DM and Instagram, go to our website, betterbellytherapies.com. We would love to support you in any way at all. We have packages, functional medicine programs where we, our aim and what we're seeing with every single client of ours is between 60 to 80% improvement in their health markers. Uh, that is in bloating, constipation, pain, headaches, migraines, PMS. We have so many amazing improvements we are seeing in our clients. And if you are ready to find the root cause of your, of your health problems and solve the mystery of your health, do not hesitate to reach out. We would love to talk with you. If you'd like to do so, check out the link below in our show notes. We have a 30 minute free consultation call and I'd love to chat with you there. And as always, remember our mantra here that miracles are immediate. We always want things to be fast and as quick as possible, but many times and oftentimes healing, true healing takes time.